Good morning, everyone. I'm going to talk this morning about foolish behavior. Now, we're not going to talk about just one bad decision after another, just wild, crazy living, just absolute stupidity. Because I don't think you need a sermon to know that that's wrong. What we are going to talk about is the difference between a wise and foolish decision. And you know people that you've grown up with, that you've been around, and sometimes you look at where their life is now, and you start tracking back and you wonder, How did they get to the situation they're in now? Now, if it's a lifestyle that you respect, you want to track back and go, what were the decisions that they made to achieve their current state? If they're in a bad place, you want to track back and go, what decisions did they make because I want to avoid them? You know, I remember as a, Young disciple, college student up at the University of Toronto. I remember seeing the marriages in the church and I said, I've never seen marriages like this. I want to have a marriage like that. And so I dated a lot, but I didn't have any confidence in my ability to get a marriage that looked like what I saw. So I had good trusted advisors, and I basically went to them and said, tell me what to do. What did you do? Mark and Connie Mancini, they were key advisors. I saw their marriage. Mark, just tell me what to do. Tell me how to date. Tell me how to get engaged. Tell me how to live, because I want to have a marriage like you and Connie have. I didn't put my brain in park. I wanted to make the kind of decisions that led to that outcome. You know, I appreciate Caesar talking about the life that he's living and wrestling through the balance and how to be a great employee, but the challenge to say no to things that might affect your job outcome to make a best spiritual decision. You know what Caesar didn't tell you at that meeting last weekend? He actually won President's Club, which is the award they give you to the top in their field. So you can make sacrifices for God and still excel in your career. But we're going to be looking at passages, and what you're going to see is there's key decisions, there's key moments where where lives look the same, But then there's a crossroads. There's a decision that has to be made. And it's the behavior at that moment in time that has a profound difference in the outcome of life. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. There it goes. Point number one, it is foolish to live for the wrong thing. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 7. This is a picture of a famous lighthouse. 
If you've ever been to my house, you recognize uh, at least part of it. It's, it's called La Jumet, and it's, it's like out in the North Sea. And I always wonder, how did they build this thing? Because waves are constantly crashing. But that's a huge lighthouse. And it's still standing to this day, even being pummeled wave after wave. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says this. Everyone who hears these words of mine, oh, sorry, verse 24, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. You know, Jesus tells this parable in the contrast. He goes, you have the ability to be a wise builder in your life or a foolish builder. So what looks the same? Well, both builders have the opportunity to build something. They have the opportunity to make choices of what kind of foundation their life will be built on. Now, notice as Jesus tells the story that the outcome of their way of life is not whether or not the waves come. You see, we mistakenly look at life and we blame circumstances for where we're at in life. And so, so we look at somebody who's going through a good life and we actually think, oh, they just have it all good. And that's why their life is good. But I am facing all these challenges. And that's why I have it tough. That's why I'm breaking down. It's because of my circumstances. Jesus says, no, it actually has nothing to do with circumstances. It has everything to do with the foundation of your life. You see, the fact is, we cannot choose the wind and the waves. And yet every day we still wake up and hope that the day is without wind and waves, right? I'm just praying for the trouble-free day. I haven't got there yet. And neither have you. And it's not going to happen. So you might as well use your prayer time praying for something else. Because Jesus says each day has enough trouble of its own. So what's the issue? Well, it's the foundation. And Jesus tells this entire story to boil it down to one thing. He says there is one fundamental thing that determines whether you are wise or whether you are exhibiting foolish behavior. And it's not whether or not you hear the word of God. No, he says, hey, everybody get that chance. So you're here and you're hearing the word of God. Now you have a moment to be wise or foolish. And say so the one difference was whether or not they implemented what they heard or whether they ignored it. 
You know, I grew up having zero intent to put into practice what I heard at church. I was proud of the fact that I attended church because I had lots of friends I went to school with that did not attend church. And so I looked at them and go, oh, yeah, you you slept in on Sunday. I was at church. And I kind of thought God must be so proud of me. Because I made the decision to attend. But I would hear a sermon. I would hear a message preached. I would read scripture. And I had zero intention to do anything with that. But just to sit there and enjoy the whole experience. Thinking that attending church was somehow going to make a difference. Now, the fact is, attending church and doing nothing with what you hear is a house built on sand. It looks good until the wind and the waves come. Yeah, I'm proud of Diane. You know why she's getting baptized today? Because she's smart, she's wise. She put into practice what she heard. You know, wisdom is different than intelligence. A lot of really smart people do dumb things. My favorite quote on that. Intelligence is knowing tomatoes are a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put a tomato in fruit salad. Jesus says, the foolish people hear... And do nothing. They read their Bibles and they do nothing. They see what they need to change and they do nothing. And believe that because they read, because they heard, because they fellowshiped, that that's going to make a difference when the wind and the waves come. Ron Quinn told me so many times. When I was in rough shape, when the wind and the waves were taking a toll, the problem is your relationship with God. It is no longer sufficient. Yeah, it may have been fine for the little wind and the little waves. But now you're in grown-up land and the wind and the waves are bigger. And what you did last week and last month isn't good enough to sustain What you have now. Where is your foundation? Well, maybe a better question is, how do you respond to the wind and the waves in your life? We live in a world that turns to alcohol, that numbs out with drugs, pornography, sex, pleasure. I don't want to feel anything. I'm stressed. What can I do to relieve the stress? And they're trying to find an external source. It's a house built on sand. Yet when you dig down deep, it doesn't protect you from the wind and the waves. But you stand firm and you stay close to God through that. So the question is, are you putting into practice what you hear and what you read? If not, it's a matter of time. Before the wind and the waves take a toll on your life. You know, the second passage 
that Jesus talks about of foolish behavior in this category is found over in Luke chapter 12. We talked about this in our campus Bible talk this week, and we were, we were pondering the question of if you could ask Jesus any one thing, like he's the ultimate tutor, you could get help, you could get, you know, how did you create the universe? You know, somebody say, hey, what did you write on the ground with the woman caught in adultery? I mean, you could ask him anything, and a crowd gathers, and this story starts by a guy going, Hey, Lord, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. That, that was the thing that was on his heart to ask the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the maker of the universe. Hey, figure out my inheritance issues. Verse 14, Jesus replied, man who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you. Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. He told them a parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores things up for themselves but is not rich Toward God. Okay, notice what's the difference between wise and foolish? It is not whether or not you store things up. He says, whoever stores things up for themselves and is not rich toward God. The difference is when you live for yourself at the expense of your spiritual life. That's what's foolish. He tells a story about this guy that owned some farmland and he got an abundant harvest. And you go, wow, that's really great. You know, sometimes the Lord brings in like great blessings and successes. But it can put us in a situation where we go, oh, no. I don't have room for all the blessings. So now I have a choice. You say, well, what was he supposed to do? I mean, you know, he got so much stuff. He could have given the portion that didn't fit away. But he's like, oh, you know what I got to do now? Now I got to build bigger barns. You know, a lot of times in life, we end up crazy busy. And we feel like, we don't have time to get all the things done. You know, I want to accomplish this spiritually, but I don't have time. I would really love to spend more time with my brothers and sisters in Christ, but I don't have time. I'd love to be in that Bible study. I'd love to study the Bible, but I don't have time. And then you start going, well, why are you so busy? I think you start answering that question. And it's because our lives are full of things 
that we chose to be involved in. Well, I'm committed to this, and I want to do this, and I want to accomplish this, and I want to get this promotion, and I'm working a second job because I want more money so I can do this, and I want this, and I I signed up for this, and I'm committed to that. Yeah, I know why you're really busy. Look at all those things. You see, there's the problem with any one of those things. No. But when your commitments for your life are squeezing out being rich toward God, God looks at that and he says, you fool. What a word. When Jesus told this story, it did not end by going, hey, you know, you haven't been living for the right things. Tonight your life's going to be demanded. Pretty sad ending. You know, a lot of times we just kind of assume that if we're living for the wrong things, eventually we're going to see it. And then we're going to have years and years and years to repent and live differently for what matters most. Yeah, I've been around a number of older people at the end of their life. I've never heard one person regret time they spent with people, with their children, with their spouse, and their spiritual life. Never heard a regret. Not one. I spent too much time doing those things that mattered most. Never heard that. But I've heard countless regrets that sound like, I wish I would have. I wish I would have spent more time doing this. You know, this is the story that Jesus tells to somebody that had the king of kings in front of him. And the one thing he wanted help with, his inheritance. We live in a world that prioritizes financial security and thinks that the real success of life is to one day be able to take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Just relax. You say, if it is at the expense of what matters most, God calls us a fool. Say, what's wise? Keep priorities in line. Live for what matters most. Accomplish the other things as well. It can be done. Oh, you may make sacrifices. Maybe somebody else will get promoted. Maybe somebody else will live in a bigger house. Maybe somebody else will be able to retire earlier. But your spiritual life will be in order. If we live for the wrong things, God calls us a fool. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. Second thing we're going to look at. It's foolish to believe that half-hearted is good enough. You know, this is one of those things that we're living and functioning in the spiritual life. And, you know, we're coming to church and we're... We're doing Christian things, but we're not totally sold out. 
We're not totally committed. We're not totally locked in in our relationship with God. But we have some evidence of commitment, of giving, of a relationship with God. But this is a point to people that are in that middle ground and feel fine and believe that God is fine. To that mentality, Jesus tells a story in Matthew 25. Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 1, Jesus says, At the time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. All the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. There was one thing that was the difference maker between being wise and being foolish. And it was not whether or not you had a lamp that was lit. It was, did you have any oil in reserve? That was it. The whole story is about having extra oil versus the minimum amount. You know why you bring extra oil? Because you're anticipating needing extra. That's a deep Bible study right there. It's like if you think in L.A. it takes 60 minutes to drive 60 miles, you are late. Almost all the time. Every once in a while you make it and feel good, but... The old saying goes, even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. You got lucky. You know, the fact is, in life, you have a spiritual tank full of oil. So the question is, do you have just enough or do you have extra You say, well, how do I know? Well, how do you live? Do you live frantic? You're always at your wit's end? I can't handle anymore. 
Don't tell me another need. Don't give me another phone call. Don't text me with anything. Oh, nobody knocks at my door. I don't want to hear another problem. Hey, we all get there, right? The question is not, are you there once? The question is, how do you live? What's the world you live in? You know, if, if you have kids, they'd be a good place to ask. Hey, am I at peace at home? Do you feel like you can always come to me with issues? What about roommates? How do you live? You're stressed out all the time? I've got one more ounce of spiritual energy. And since you're asking for it, I'm going to give it to you and then I'm going to die. You know, sometimes that's like the, the attitude we give off. Say, what's going on there? We don't have any extra. We're not locked in the pipeline. Yo, Cheryl and I have been working with the campus ministry. It's been a real blast. But you know what? You know what? We always cook extra. But I remember the first Bible talk we had at our house. And we had some leftover food from dinner because we never cooked just enough. We always have extra. But we didn't have like a ton extra. And then somebody came in, hey, have you eaten? No, I haven't. So we're giving food. And all of a sudden the extra was gone. But then we kept asking, hey, have you eaten? And they're like, no, we haven't. So we just start going to the fridge and we are hauling out everything. We are cooking new stuff. We're microwaving leftovers. We're, we're like feeding. And so, you know what? We made a decision from that moment on. We're going to have extra. So for Bible talk, we just have like big roasts and then a pot of rice. So we've done jerk pork. We, I mean, we've done barbecue pork. We've done different beef roasts and all that. You know why? Because people show up and they're hungry. So we have extra. We didn't cook it because we need it. But isn't it awesome when somebody walks in and they go, I have not eaten. And you're like. Great, I have food for you. Versus, I'm starving. Well, I'll pray for you. (laughs) You see the difference? So if you're living life with extra spiritually, then you got stuff in the tank to give to others and to share. All right. So do you live out of scarcity or out of excess? Do you live trying to distance yourself from problems? Are you one that engages and tries to help problems? Let me tell you something. If you're half-hearted, you know it. You know who else knows it? God knows it. You know who else knows it? Satan knows it. You know, Peter says that Satan is a roaring lion. You know when a lion hunts and it, ch- it chases the herd? You know who it focuses on? The weak. Translated half-hearted. Crippled. 
the young. Doesn't even worry about the healthy ones. It's like, no, I'm trying to find those that are half committed. They're half righteous. You say, what's it mean to be half righteous? Oh, well, I, I won't do this. But I mean, hey, we all sin. So I got these little pet sins over here. Satan knows that. When you're half-hearted, you know, God knows, and so does Satan. It's foolish to believe half-hearted is good enough. So what do we do with that? Be wholehearted. The good news for each one of us, hey, we can be wise. We can have extra. We can put in the time. To say, I'm so filled up with God, I've got something to give. I'm prepping to be a giver, to share, to help, to engage. You can plan time into your schedule. You can say no to those other things. So you've got extra to give to somebody else. But it's foolish to believe half-hearted is good enough. Finally, It's foolish to mistake the role of actions. You go, what do you mean? Well, what you're going to see is that the foolishness of actions happens on the extreme of the action spectrum. Okay? So we're going to start over in James chapter 2. James chapter 2. Let me get over there. All right, verse 18. Someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. The scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. So what's foolish? says, It's foolish to believe that faith alone saves you. That believing what's right, giving intellectual consent to truths in God's Word is fine. You know, where do you see that? Well, usually it's in an extreme overemphasis of grace. That we let ourselves off the hook for deeds of faith. And believe that just because I have the right thoughts, I'm good. Usually found on people that get defensive when you start talking about, hey, how you live in your life isn't matching up with what you believe in Scripture. Usually somebody that's, that's kind of in this realm will go, well, who are you to judge me? How are your deeds? Are you perfect? 
No, see, when you believe that actions and faith work together, it's a normal conversation to look for complementary lifestyle and beliefs. But if you have let yourself off the hook on the lifestyle portion of Christianity and believe that mental belief and faithful beliefs are enough, you're in trouble. He says they work together. He says faith without deeds is useless. I like this graphic. Faith is spelled action. That you demonstrate your faith by the faithful actions that you're living out. Okay, now, that's the one side where there's, there's no action. It's just, oh, I just need the faith. Well, then what's on the other end of the spectrum? It's where it's all about the action. It's all about the human activity. And if you go over to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3, verse 3. Paul says this, Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Paul's saying, hey, you started your spiritual journey. That's done with the Holy Spirit. But now you're living life thinking your human ingenuity, your human effort, your human accomplishments are what matters in life. You've abandoned your faith. You've abandoned the spirit. Hard work is not a substitute for faith. You see, two opposite ends of the spectrum. And both are described as foolish behavior. You say, what's wise? To understand that faith and actions are working together. It's that middle ground. It's the balance. We don't overemphasize one and exclude the other. No, we need both. Timothy says, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you'll save both you and your hearers. We're going to have them both. So how do you know where you're at on the spectrum? Okay, when life gets really crazy, what do you do first? Do you look to the Spirit? Do you pray? Are you locked in with God? Or is it human effort? What's the first resort? That's kind of where you know where you're focused. You know, sometimes, you know, like I get in a situation and I just, okay, I got to try harder. I need a better plan. I got to do this and I'm frustrated and all that. And then I hit a wall and I'm more mad and I'm more frustrated. Well, I guess I could pray. Okay, well, yes, I prayed and yes, I used human effort, but what? What was my real emphasis? Means of the flesh. I prayed after I got stuck with everything I knew to do versus going to God first. Do you realize this? Not every problem in your life 
has a solution. You see, we, we live in the land that has more books, more knowledge, more you know, intellect and wisdom and technology, and we mistakenly believe every problem has a solution. That's not true. Not every problem has a solution. There's some health problems that even with our great modern medicine, it can't fix it. There's relationship problems that have been so damaged. There's wounds, there's hurts. There's just challenges that we face. Not every single thing that we face has a solution. Now, there's a place that we can turn. But it's foolish to mistake the role of human effort. You know, one of the biggest misguided goals that we have is trying to have healthy self-esteem. You say, well, what's wrong about having healthy self-esteem? Well, nothing depending on how you define it. Let me tell you what healthy self-esteem is. Healthy self-esteem is having absolute confidence that you are the man or the woman that God says you are. That is healthy self-esteem. What's not healthy self-esteem? Trying to find it in accomplishments, the opinions of other human. That is flawed, flawed, flawed. I've been working with young people. I'll translate for the young people. Human self-esteem is juice. Godly self-esteem is sauce. Okay? If you're, if you're older than 25, you're probably like, what's he talking about? Have the young people explain it to you? They filled me in. They showed me the videos that go along with it. Trying to feel good about who you are because some other human tells you you're good. Or trying to feel good about who you are because you've achieved enough that you're finally convinced is flawed, flawed, flawed. What is the truth is that you are the man or woman that God says you are. You are made in his image. It's a fact. So that's who you are. So that should give you a whole lot of esteem. Being made in the image of God. So we have a choice. Remember where we started? Lives look the same. But there's a fundamental decision in different cases that radically affect the outcome of life. And we have a choice to be wise or to be foolish. We need to live for what matters most. We need to be wholehearted in how we live our life. We need to have extra 
to share and to give with other people. And finally, we need to keep actions and faith together in balance because we need both. Do not overemphasize actions and do not ignore them because we can't live the life that God calls us to without the balance of both faith and actions. Let's be wise men and women as we respond to God's word and let the outcome of our way of life be determined by wise decision making. Let's stand as we close in a final song.